uh, you can turn in your Bibles. This is, this is Advent now, so you probably think you know where we're going, but I promise you, you don't know where we're going. We're going to go to Romans 15. Not a classic Christmas text by any means. Oh, kids, you can go to Sunday school. I'm sorry. They were just leaving whether I let them go or not. It's okay. So Romans 15, we're going to look at something here because uh, this morning we're going to talk about hope. And, and you've heard me talk about this, and in fact, on our kickoff Sunday, that was our theme uh, in September for, for this kind of year moving forward is the hope that we have in Christ. And so a little bit of this is going to be a little rehash of that, so you may remember, um, but this is something that we, we need to be reminded of often. Advent is this season that we celebrate every year leading up to Christmas. And, and the word itself means uh, coming or arrival. And I think it's really kind of neat that you could translate that as both of those things because both of those things are important. Is There was the arrival of Jesus, uh, as you kind of see here in the manger scene behind me, that arrival that was celebrated, but also Christmas is this reminder for us that Jesus is coming again. And so the, the fulfillment of the hope that we have, the, the Old Testament writers were pointing towards something, predominantly that being Jesus coming to the earth. But then they were also pointing towards Jesus coming again and taking us to be with him in eternity. And so there's no better thing for us to focus on than the Lord Jesus in these coming weeks. And as we think about it, is, is Chris, I don't know, Christmas this year seems a, a little more special to me. I don't, I don't know for you. Is we have the December 1st rule in our house. Anybody have this rule? Just me? Okay. Oh, there's someone else. Okay. So that's been, we don't set up before then. Well, tomorrow we're going to set up. We're breaking our rule just by a couple of days. But there's just this anticipation. There's just this excitement uh, around this. And, and it's good. But, as you all know, as culture's trying to hijack that, right? And trying to over-materialize Christmas and take the meaning out of this reason that the whole world celebrates. And, and we want to put the meaning back in Christmas. We want to remember where our hope actually lies. Because here's the simple reality of it. And those of you who have had children, you know this to be true. Your kids may really want whatever is, I don't even know what's the important popular toy this year. You know, I'm just out of, the, out of the scope. Anybody? Nobody. Okay, good. So that's good for us right now. Even if they're like, this is the only thing I want, what happens if that's what they get? In a few days, a few weeks, if we're lucky, it's all of a sudden on a shelf and it doesn't come down for a long time. And that, that momentary opening and that excitement of it really quickly fades, passes, and we move beyond that. And the materialism is just another thing that fades. But the hope of Jesus, and, and this is why we as a church, when we gather, we want to look at these themes, hope, peace, joy, and love. We want to look at them, celebrate them. We want to remind ourselves of them because of the importance that they are in our own hearts and to our families. If you're a parent of a child that lives with you right now, is do not stop talking about Advent this season. Presents are fine. Family gatherings are good. Food is wonderful. All those things are good, but they're just, just a tiny piece 
of what Christmas is about. So as we set here, as we talk about hope this morning, let's put our focus on that. Let's try and remember that we celebrate because Jesus came to the earth. That God was faithful to his promise. And many of those promises we're going to read this morning. And they'll be up on the screen as well because we have a lot of text to cover. But that's what our goal is this morning. Before we move on, we've got to define hope. And again, you heard me define this in September. If you're part of the men's group, we talked about this idea of hope um, fairly recently in our study through Hebrews. But hope in, in the English word, is, it's kind of lost the meaning that it has biblically. When we think of, I hope for something, it's, it's based on this possibility, maybe a probability of something happening. Right? I hope I get a promotion at work. I'm, that was just hypothetical. Just hypothetical. I, I don't know why I used that one all of a sudden. It's not written by my notes. Um, we hope for, you know, the, the classic one that I used last time is I hope the Toronto Maple Leafs make it out of the first round of the playoffs. We know that's not going to happen. Right? Is sometimes we think of hope in that sense. I hope I win the lottery. Like this, just these wild, crazy aspirations. But what biblical hope talks about is not something based on possibility or maybe even probability, but something that's based on certainty. What God has promised, what God has said He will fulfill, what God has said He will do. And this is why the Bible, in, in my opinion, when you look at it, is the Old Testament. It's this big section in the New Testament is relatively small. And I'm convinced it's because the Old Testament lets us understand who God is and lets us show or lets us see how faithful he is to his word. That when he says something that we can have hope in it, not because we have to, it possibly might be true, but because we know God is faithful over and over and over. And so that is what we're going to talk about and and. We're going to look at several Old Testament texts to do that. But first, let's read in Romans 15, 1-7, where it says this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, this morning, I'm not going to kind of expositionally go through or, or deal with verse by verse. We're predominantly going to talk about verse 4 and then the proof that deals with leading up to verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope. This is, this is huge. I, like, I cannot overstate this to us this morning. Paul says that the things that were written in former days, namely the promises of the Old Testament, were not only written for the original hearers, but for us as well. Isn't that huge? 
It's not just this is something uncontextual that doesn't matter to us. As Paul says, all of these things that were written were written for our instruction. Paul looks at this and says this was written for the church that we might have hope, that we might know who Jesus is, that we might know that God is a God who keeps his word. So, what was written? That's what we're going to look at here for these moments. Now, we could start in Genesis 1-1, and we could just read until it's 12.30, and then we could go home, and we would not even come close to exhausting all of this, and, and that's not the approach we're going to do here this morning. We're going to take a few verses a few promises of Scripture that are written, that were fulfilled, that we can know this is true. But that being said, let's start in Genesis 1-1, because I think it is important. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. According to what Paul just said in Romans 15, that verse is written for you and for me, for our encouragement that we might have hope. He says that God created the heavens and the earth He's creator, but he's also the sustainer of all things according to Scripture. God is all-powerful, and through his words that he speaks, creation happens. This is the kind of God that we should want to worship. Not one that we create with our own hands or one that we think we can have authority over, but one who speaks and it happens. As God creates in in Throughout that chapter one, as we learn about the beauty and the creativity, and what we learn most importantly is that God gives everything that man and woman would ever need. He is faithful. He is creator. He is sustainer. He gives us everything. But in chapter three, we read about the fall of man, but we learn about God in that context as well. And this may seem like a strange text to use, but I think it actually points to the faithfulness and the goodness of God. God creates uh, Adam and Eve, and he says, everything in the garden is created for you and for your enjoyment except one tree. That is for me. God gives man and woman freedom for everything except one thing. He says, this is for me. And he says, do not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it, you surely will what? You will die. That's what God says. Well, we read that Adam and Eve give in, they, they get tempted by Satan, and then they choose to give in to that temptation, and they go and they eat of that fruit, and we see the consequences that come of that, and on that day, death occurred. Animals had to be killed so that Adam and Eve could now clothe their naked bodies because they were ashamed. All of a sudden, they, were, they had a time clock. Their bodies were not going to live forever. Death entered the world. But more importantly than that, spiritual death becomes a reality for us. And my argument here, and I know this sounds ludicrous, but my argument is that is good. Because that means God kept his promise and kept his word. As God said, in the day of this, if you eat this, you will surely die. God, we, we might in that moment want to say, well, can't God just be merciful and just, just extend some grace? Sure, but where's the end then. If God says, you will die if you do this, and then they do it, I'll give you a second chance. Has that worked well with you parents, with your kids ever? Right? Don't do that. If you do that, this is what's going to happen, and then that doesn't happen. What do they learn? They learn they can keep doing it. This isn't a parenting session. I'm just using that as a 
as a moment of clarity for us is, is all of us, is if, you know, like if, if every, we were talking about this, me and Lily were talking about this this morning, there's this radar in, outside of Harvey Heights, Canmore area, right? And what does radar do? It makes sure you drive the correct speed limit or you pay the consequences for it, right? How many like radar? It's great if it's in a school zone and you have children, right? Because all of a sudden you know that people are going to be more careful. So there's actually some benefits to it. But the point being, right, is if there's consequences immediately to what we are told, you will get a ticket if. Then we're going to respond in that way. And so God is faithful to his promise saying, and it's, it's good. Because he doesn't just say death now enters the world, you're on your own. He says death now enters the world because I'm a God who fulfills my promises, but I am going to figure out a way so that you can be redeemed. That's the best news that we could ever have, is that God is faithful to what he says, that God isn't wishy-washy, that God does what he says he's going to do, but that God loves us so much that he will also figure out other ways to accomplish his purposes in us. Numbers 23, 19, we read this, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Here's the reality, right, is we can place all the hope we want in people, but eventually somebody lets you down. I probably let Shayla down every Sunday when I tell her, I'll be home in just five minutes. Never happens. Right, is even with good intentions, even with, I I think this is what's going to happen, we are not people who keep our word. We are people who lie. God does not. He is not man that he should not lie. That is so, so important. And throughout the rest of the Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible, we see God's faithfulness amidst the unfaithfulness of those he calls. That's actually really good news. Uh, A few months back in our men's study, we were going through the book of Judges, and as we were studying through all these different judges, somebody made this comment of like, why didn't God choose some better judges? Right? Because somehow we think, oh, there's God, the point is there's no good judges. Well, there is. There's one, and it's God. We, as people, are unfaithful, and and the whole narrative of the Israelites coming out of slavery, out of Egypt, we see their unfaithfulness. We see their turning towards other gods. Throughout the, the kingdom period, we see, right, David starts good, and then all of a sudden you see most of the kings after that are so wicked and so abominable. In fact, right now I'm studying through Ezekiel for a seminary course, and what is being brought to my attention more and more is that God actually says that his own people are even more faithless than the nations around them. Isn't that crazy? The people that he called, the people that he saved, the people that he journeyed with, the people that he did miracle after miracle after miracle for, continued to reject that God. When we get near the end of Deuteronomy, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but we have this voice or this verse that comes to Joshua. Moses has finished his ministry, and Joshua is about to take lead of the people. And God writes to him, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Now again, while that is written in a specific context to a specific person, to a specific people, the truth of that, according to Romans 15, is that it applies to me too. That God will not leave me or forsake me. 
that he calls me to be courageous and filled with hope and to not be in dread because God journeys with me through the obstacles and the challenges of my life. So it doesn't matter what I face. It doesn't matter the difficulties that are in front of me. I am not alone in that. And that should give me more hope than anything any person could ever promise. Isaiah 41.10, God says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. Sorry, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Lamentations 3.24, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. He is all I have. He is all I have. Let that sink in. Literally, that's all that you have. Everything else is temporary, right? You may have seen the shirt. I've said this lots before in the past, but it says, he who dies with the most toys, what? And he still dies, right? Like, you can't take it with you. And so you can accumulate all you want here, but it is temporary. The writer here in Lamentations realizes that all I have is God. And praise the Lord, that's all that we need. The psalmist writes in Psalm 146.5, Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Or 119.114, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Why does David write he hopes in his word? Because he knows his word is true. Because he knows he can trust what God says. He knows that what God says, God will do. God is faithful. This is why the writer in Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Though yet some things haven't happened, we know they are true because God has promised them. And God has not lied. God has not let us down. I love my family desperately. And they love me, but they will let me down and I will let them down. They're not God. But God won't let me down. And so that fills me with so much hope because I know that whatever I'm facing, whatever is in front of me, that God walks with me. Now, now hear this because this is important. Is This doesn't mean that God will change your circumstances so that they're always good. That's a lie that some people try and make the Bible say, but the Bible is clear that that is not true. But it does mean that you have one to walk through those circumstances who knows how you feel. It means that you are not alone. Despite if you're in your bedroom by yourself and you feel like there's no hope because the circumstance, the situation in your life is so overwhelming, you can open the word as David says, I hope in your word because I know that even though I don't feel that God is with me, I know that he is with me. Again, that's the greatest promise that we could be given. God is with us. Jesus comes to the earth, right, as this baby, but he grows up and he teaches many things and he gives promises, all of which he fulfills as well. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, this is the Great Commission and we use this lots, but there's a very little, like right at the end, there's this tagline that we kind of forget. 
It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's the part we focus on, but then there's this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's not just something that God said in the Old Testament to a specific person. It's something that then Jesus says, look, this promise, this is always, you always will have me with you. And then we continue to read in the book of Acts, we find out in 1.8 that the Holy Spirit is going to come and that when Jesus ascends into heaven, that he's actually going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you have God with you. Christmas, we use this word for Jesus, which is Emmanuel. What does it mean? God with us. Praise the Lord that that wasn't a one-day thing. That God is with you. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's with you every day. No matter your circumstance, no matter your pain. And of course, my favorite verse that I've quoted so, so many times, and, and just uh, either yesterday or the day before, I was sitting with my family at supper time, and, and I'm just finishing going through Romans in my reading right now, and I said to Shailen Smog, like Romans 8 is just my favorite chapter in the Bible. There's just so much depth there, and so I threatened that I would preach on Romans 8 for about four months, but I don't know if we'll do that or not. But Romans 8, 28, it says this, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Your situation might be awful right now. The circumstances of your life might feel hopeless right now, but the good news of this verse is telling you not that your situation will change. It's something far greater and better than that. Is that God can use, no matter how horrible your situation is, for his good and for his glory. That's way better than just changing our circumstances. He's giving us faith. He's giving us belief. He's giving us hope. He's showing us that he is faithful and he is doing the impossible. He's taking that which you go, this doesn't make any sense. How could this possibly honor God? And he's able to use that to redeem others. This idea of hope through scripture should just, it should leave you with so much encouragement. That as we should walk out of here, we shouldn't go, man, my circumstances don't matter. We should say, Jesus is greater than my circumstances. So no matter what lies in front of me, no matter how painful, no matter how uncertain, that God walks with me and that he has good in store. Again, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to win the lottery. But that does mean that God's going to use you for his purposes. And his purposes are always greater than mine. So back to Romans 15, 4. Whatever was written in former days was written for your or for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So here's my I'm my pleading with you. Read scripture. Learn who God is. Dive into this book that you would see that he is faithful so that you can learn to trust in his promises so that when you go through those deep and dark valleys that your faith is not flittering, but that it's strong amidst great difficulty and opposition. Read scripture, study it, learn who God is. 
But there's an interesting point that I can't ignore in these seven verses is that Paul's point within the church here is unity and community. Your Christian life is not your own. Your relationship with God is not a private event. According to all of the New Testament, specifically the letters to the churches, it's meant to be in community and used for unity. So we need to remember that. We need to look at this and to go, church, fellowship, Christian community is vitally important because that's the avenue that God says he's going to accomplish his purposes. It says it this way in Hebrews, don't neglect meeting together. Right? And so many people have used that verse and twisted it so far in these days of COVID. What does that mean? It means do not isolate yourself on your own thinking that you can get through it. It means meet together because you need someone to encourage you. You need someone to give you the truth of the gospel. You need someone to recite scripture to you. You need someone to love you and to pray for you because we are created to be in community, in unity, focused on Jesus. When the devil gets us alone, that's when we get discouraged most. When we're by ourselves and we think nobody's there with us, that's when we're at our lowest. So I plead with you, not only read scripture, but get involved. And I'm not trying to say that with this self-fulfilling prophecy kind of idea of this church. I mean, get involved in Christian community. And if that means some avenue that our church is supporting, then great. But if that means you now have a further incentive to go into your workplace and you know a Christian, enter into their life. Help them, pray for them, love them care for them. These are the promises that we find. Paul says it this way in verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we sing united together. Because we sing the promises of God. We sing the things that we need to remember. And we do that together, united in purpose. So please read scripture, learn who God is, and then connect with one another. Don't think that you have to do this on your own. But know that you were created to be in community. Your situation might not change, but your perspective about your situation will. And that is so important. And that should give us hope. Let's close with this verse 13 of this chapter, Paul says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for each individual who is here. Each one who is part of this community each one who is a son or daughter of the King. God, as we prepare for Advent and as we look forward with hope in this season, may our hope not be placed in our material things. Would our hope not be placed in specific people? Would our hope be placed in the truth that we can trust in you because you are faithful to your promises? 
And you have promised that you are with us. Jesus promises us that we have the Holy Spirit, that he is within us for the rest of our lives. And so, God, I want to pray for those this morning who have a very difficult situation in front of them. Those who have time of uncertainty. Those who are going through the loss of a loved one. Those who are battling illness and disease. God, when we focus only on the external circumstances, it can become so overwhelming so quickly. But what we read here is that as we persevere and as we read Scripture, that we will be built up and encouraged. And so, God, would we place our hope in you this morning? Would we remind ourselves that we can trust you because you are faithful? Thank you for this verse 4 that reminds us that everything that has been written is written for our instruction that we might grow in our knowledge of who you are. While some things are written in a context that maybe is different than ours, it's the principles and those things are still true. And we still learn about who you are and your grace and your mercy. So God, would we become a people who love your word, that read it, that study it, that learn more about who you are. May we also be people who gather together to encourage and to bless one another, to lift one another up, to pray for one another. God, help us to not get isolated and alone. But may we come together as a community, united together with one purpose, that we would exalt Christ and make him known. God, fill us with your hope this morning. That as we go out and as we face the circumstance that you have placed in front of us, that we know that according to Romans 8, that it is for our good and that you are going to use it for your glory and your honor. May we trust the promises that we read in your word. God, go with us this week. As the Christmas season gives us perhaps a better opportunity to witness to others, to share who you are with others, we pray that you would, just like with Joshua, that you would give us courage and boldness to proclaim who you are. We pray that people would be open and people would be eager to hear the gospel, that you would be preparing those situations so that we can bless other people with the love of Jesus. God, send us out this week with the hope that you are faithful and you will do what you have promised. We love you. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, I do want to say, if you, uh, the Debs, the Debs, are, are, they have decorated so lovely.